Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Welcome. Uh, where we turn around the entire worship center. Uh, for those of you watching online, this is the back of the worship center. Um, it's not, our worship center is not really that big, so technically, I mean, it's not a huge shift, but um, I'm on the floor instead of on the stage. We took all the worship team stuff and put it all down here. We ran uh, the brain for the sound system and all that stuff, um, all just to mess you up. This is all part of the effort, so thankful to the tech team for all their work and, and then whipping out the old projector from when we were set up teardown. Got the old projector projecting stuff up here on the door. Uh, man, why is he so? If you're new today, um, if you're visiting, uh, I'm sorry, we are a little crazy. So uh, we tend to do things just randomly um, uh, on, on occasion. And so today's opposite day, which means uh, we're doing everything the opposite. Well, not, not, not exactly everything. I mean, uh, we're not going to make visitors stand up. We're not going to shame people. We're not going to do the opposite of kindness or anything like that. Um, at, the, at the opposite time as usual, typically we do worship in the beginning and uh, we then have preaching. But uh, man, this is, uh, this is the first time I, was, I shared this with the nine o'clock service. This is the first time in my life. I've been preaching since I was 12. Um, so that's a little while now, 27 years. Um, and I've preached, I don't know, hundreds, maybe, maybe thousands of sermons. I've preached it all in all different kinds of churches. I've preached in non-denominational churches, Wesleyan churches, Nazarene churches, Church of Christ and Christian Union churches. You didn't even know they existed. Assembly of God churches. I've preached in all kinds of churches. I've preached in uh, uh, youth retreats, uh, women's retreats, men's retreats, children's church. Sunday school. Uh, I mean, I've, 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 I don't know. I've done about every nursing home ministry, uh, you know, where people are falling asleep and some may not even literally may not even live through the sermon. You know, alarms are going off. People are getting wheeled out. I don't know what's going on. But in and, and so many years of preaching, I've never stood up to preach like in a in a church setting or, or just in any kind of preaching setting without singing first. Um, it's interesting. I, I, with the exception of like a small group, I've never just stood up and started sharing from the word of God without singing. And, and it just hit me this week. I'm like, man, this is this is so ingrained in our culture that you have to sing first. I've even heard preachers preach on why you have to sing first. And it's interesting because it's not really in the Bible. So we decided just to just like to heck with tradition and and uh, we're just we're just messing it all. So if you feel upside down and backward and messed up, it's because you've probably never entered a church before where there was preaching before singing. Because um, I've never preached before singing in all of my years of preaching. So I've done it a few times and I've preached a few times, but never before singing, never outside of the context of singing. And so typically you, you sing and you worship to God to kind of prepare hearts for the word. And so today my job is to do the opposite. My job is to bring out the word, to prepare your heart to worship. So if that, if, that, if, that, if that kind of makes sense, just I'm going to do the opposite. We're going to get you ready to enter into the presence of God with thanksgiving and with worship by opening up the word. The word is going to show us how to do this. It's going to, it's going to be fun. So um, anyway, so if you have a Bible with you, you might need that. This does not make as good of a screen as other things, uh, but it's all we got. All right. Uh, but I'm just going to I am going to start off with prayer. We always start start and end with prayer. And let's let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you uh, for your blood. We thank you for uh, your son. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for everything he's done for us, Father. We just thank you for uh, all that you have done and all that you are doing and what you're going to do today. We look forward with expectation and with faith in your capabilities, yes, but also your willingness, your desire to pour out your spirit on us, even as we are kind of unconventional today and things aren't normal church, Lord, we, it's a, that, that's because honestly, Lord, we don't 
want just normal church. We want your presence. We want you. We want to encounter you. We want to experience something fresh, something new from your hands. So we look to you. We look to your word, and we look to your spirit today. We invite your spirit to come in as we read your word to, to open up our ears, open up our eyes. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, off to a good start. Colossians 3, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Colossians 3. If not, it'll be up here on the um, door. Colossians 3, verse 15 is where we're going to start. We've been walking through Colossians for the past three and a half months, I think. Um, it's pretty amazing how long it's taking, and it's going to, we're, we're just going to keep on going. Um, but uh, we're, we're really reaching a bit of a conclusion for, 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 for Paul, for the author of Colossians. He spent a whole first chapter building a foundation, and then the second chapter building on that foundation. And now here in the third chapter, he's really establishing um, the why. The why he's writing this entire letter, why he's doing all of this. And it's really coming down to Christian community. Uh, last week we talked about this thing of fellowship and us being a body together. And this is at the very top, it's at the very peak of Paul's message here in Colossians. And so let's read from Colossians 3.15 together. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Um, those of you that were with us back, um, man, it was the first week of the NFL it was a kickoff week. That's how I remember it. So it was the first week in September. Kickoff week, I preached from uh, Colossians chapter 2, where he said, don't let anyone rule you. Don't let any human rule you. And then, you know, here in 3.15, we, 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 we covered this verse then because it's the exact same word. It says, instead, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Uh, does anybody remember what the word rule means? Does anybody remember what that, how, how many good students have we got? Jonathan? To referee, that's right. I brought out the yellow flags. We were throwing flags. It was a lot of fun. Uh, don't, don't let anyone, any human be the ref in your life. Rather, let the peace of God be the referee. Be the one to throw the flags. Be the one to let you know when you're in bounds, when you're out of bounds. All right, so he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which, to peace, you were also called in one body. In one body. So the, the purpose of you letting the peace of God rule in your heart is so that you can come together with a group of people and there can be peace in that group. So there's not going to be peace out here if there's not peace in here. And so Paul says, we want peace in here so that we can have peace out here. Does that make sense? So we want to have peace in here so that our homes can be peaceful. And we want our homes to be peaceful so that our churches can be peaceful. We want our churches to be peaceful so that our schools can be peaceful. We want our schools to be peaceful so that somehow our politics can be peaceful and our country can be peaceful except for, you know, football. So football is where you get rid of all peace. But in, in other categories, man, we want the peace of God to rule, not humans, not political opinions, but the peace of God. And so this is how it happens. It first happens inside of us, and then it happens as one body. He says, and be thankful. Now, verse 16 is where we're going to land today, but I want to read 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I want to go back and read these three verses, but I want to emphasize one word. I don't know if you notice this or not, but there's one word that's continually repeated. And actually, if you go to the original language, it's repeated even more so, but you, it doesn't come through in English. But here in the New King James Version, it does come through quite a bit. Verse, verse 15, let's read it again. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which you also were called in, in uh, you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. It's kind of getting redundant, isn't it? So, so this is my question for you on opposite day, the day where we turn around the entire worship center, we do preaching first and singing last, the day where we mess everything up. This is my question for you. Are you in? 
Michelle, Michelle is in. Is anybody else in? If you're, if you're in at, at, at 11, 11, you're in. But if you're not in at 11, 11, you're going to walk in and be embarrassed because as I'm preaching, you're going to be in front of everybody. It's just going to be awesome. And we're going to, I say we just clap for every, everybody just to help them feel a little more at home. And No, just kidding. Uh, no, it, 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 that, that, that's the problem with switching it all up. People are like, oh, I'll just miss some of the worship, but I'll get there for the preaching. It's like, uh, no, you won't. So we're being sneaky. But no, there's so much that, that God wants uh, for us to be in, to be in one body. It's important that we're in one body. It's important that you're a part of a church that, that believes in the Bible, that teaches the Bible. You're in one body and that you're gathering together with them. Woo! Nice. <laughs> the Varguses are in. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's opposite day. I don't know if anybody told you, Ricky, but it's opposite. Instead of making late people feel at home, we're making, <clears throat> we're just, it's opposite day. Luckily, luckily, we love you. And uh, you love us. Seriously, don't do that for a visitor, for real. Like, behave. Don't make me, don't make me get out the wooden spoon. That's how, how, how I deal with my kids. That's what I tell them. Don't make me. Don't make me. Go. Oh, man. I don't even remember what I was saying, guys. Just, woo! Are you in? Are you in? Well, the, the, yeah, there's the question, are you in? Are you in one body? Are you in a church that loves you, that loves the Lord? Um, but also, um, what is in you? I think it's Gatorade's question. Is it, is it in you? So it's good for you to be in, but, but is it in you? And that's where I want to look at verse 16, because there's some things that, that, that Paul wants to be in us. First of all, he says, let the word of Christ, that's logos, that's the word, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that word dwell, actually, I, I, I said the word in is all over this passage. Well, it is, but it's, it's, it's also in the word dwell. I think King James says indwell because the word dwell technically is the word in plus house. So technically he says, let the word of Christ dwell in house in you. In other words, let it be in housed in you. Let the word of Christ be housed in you. You become the house for the word of Christ. The word of Christ comes into you and it, it lives with you. It hangs out in your living room. It's a part of you. Actually, in oikos is the word. And, and, it's, and, it's, and, it, and it literally means to move in almost like a family member would move in with you. So it's not just like it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the quiet, like abused person off in the corner somewhere that we never talked to this word of God. Rather, it's, it's a loving family member you're bringing into your home. You pull up a seat at your table to the word of God. And so honestly, if you don't get anything else out of this message, I hope that you are encouraged to let the word of Christ move into your home. Because it's good to, have the, to come to church and to hear the word of God, the Bible, you know. It's good to come and to hear it. And to let it, let, it, let it sit with you for about 35, 45 minutes, that's good. But the real life-changing power of the gospel happens when you let it move into your house with you. When you bring it into your home. Let the word of God move into your home. I remember a couple, uh, well, heck, I guess it was a couple months ago, I was preaching in Colossians. And I, and I was talking about how the word of God, the Bible, is meant to be lived, not just read. And I, and I said that. We were verse and I was up there on the stage you guys were sitting here this is also see I'm also tricking you guys to get used to sitting up front so all you guys like next Sunday you're gonna walk in you'll be like oh I should just go right down there this is perfect this is brilliant and so and so I was up there on the stage and I said man the word like 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 if you're reading your Bible every day and you feel real proud that you've read it for 90 days straight you know that's not the point the point is to live it and so somebody walked away from that message and and they were saying they're like man I'm so glad Pastor Harry said that because people have been getting on to me that I never read my Bible. And now, because he said that, I, you know, I, I don't have to. As long as I live it, I don't have to read it. So I really, I really ought to do a whole sermon series entitled, I Wasn't Talking to You. That's just, that's just what I need to do. A whole sermon series entitled, I Wasn't Talking to You. Like, I specifically said, if you read your Bible every day for 90 days, but if you never read your Bible... I didn't realize this, but I guess I have to explain how books work. This is how they work. 
you don't know what's in it unless you read it. It's like it's it's a book. It's not a Glade plug-in. Like it doesn't just waft over to you in the because it's in your bedroom on your nightstand. Like it's just sort of while you sleep, it's wafting. I like that word, waft. It's wafting over and just kind of like filling your senses. No man, like you can't live it unless you read it. You have to read it. So super deep first point for you. I know it's early. It's eleven fifteen. Read, read your Bible. Like, that's the point. Like, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly starts with actually entering, letting it enter into you. And the way it enters into you is when you read it, when you set aside time. I mean, like, set aside time every day. You say, well, I, I, I never read my Bible. Okay, fine. Well, start small. Set, just set aside one day this week where you're going to get up a little extra early and you're going to read the Bible. Now, now I realize this is difficult because we often read it, we don't understand it, and so we're like, oh, this is too difficult, and we put it down. But the truth is, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, it helps you begin to understand the Bible. You, As you read the Bible, you begin to understand the Bible, not the other way around. You don't understand it first and then read it. You have to read it. It stretches your brain and then you start to understand it. So it takes some discipline. It takes some, some determination. It takes, you know, the kind of stuff that the, that the New England Patriots have. It takes a little bit of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you get up early, you stay up a little late maybe. I don't know, depending on your schedule. But you spend time reading the Word of God, reading the Bible. It will never dwell in you richly until you read it. This past week, I was talking on... My small group, which is about the attributes of God, and we've been talking about knowledge a lot. And knowledge is not a sexy word. Uh, our generation, our culture is not really that obsessed with knowledge. Really, honestly, because we don't really like for our brain to be stretched very much. And so we like quick sound bites. We like clickbait. We like to read a heading and then read a little short paragraph basically explaining the heading again. And we call that the news, you know. And we really don't enjoy like mental exercises that really stretch us. And so I understand that because I am the same way. All right? I'm, I'm just like you. Like, like, like let, me, let, let me just get the download. Let me, let me just read this. Let me just figure out what, what's going on in Syria. Let me just, like, let's just get to the point and let's, 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 not, let's not really apply ourselves too much. And so I'm a part of this generation too. But I'm telling you, the Word of God is really important. When you apply yourself, you begin to see how important it is to your life. And so what you can do is read the Word of God. A.W. A. Tozer has this quote that we read this week in our, in our class because we're, we're talking about the value of knowledge. Uh, he says, he says, only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. Yet, he says, as electric power flows through a conductor, so the spirit flows through truth. That's important. The spirit flows through truth. And it must find some measure of truth in the mind before he can illuminate the heart. He must find some measure of truth in the mind before he can illuminate the heart. The spirit of God, who is the spirit of truth, must find some measure of truth in the mind before he can illuminate the heart. That's why knowledge is so important because it lays the foundation for the faith that God wants to birth in your life. He, you're, not, you're not just going to wake up one day and have this new level of faith. You're going to have knowledge. And based on that knowledge, the Holy Spirit's going to be able to activate faith inside of you. Does that make sense? So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly because when it does, it act, it's able, you're able to activate faith faith. And so when you activate the word of God, you, you put it in your heart. In fact, knowing the word of God is what David said helped keep him walking with God. Like that's why I say that you, in order to walk with God, you must read the word in order to know what it says. Well, David said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it's what, it's what keeps us walking with God when we have the word of God inside of us. And once again, it's not going to get inside of you until you read it. All right, so, so set aside some time, ingest it, because it will keep you walking with God. It'll also illuminate the path that you should walk. David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
God doesn't give us specifics always as far as who to marry, who to date, what job to take, that, those kinds of things. He doesn't send us an email with that. Instead, he gives us his word, which as we read his word, as we ingest it, his word gives us a whole new perspective for how we see everything. So that we don't need a specific email for every single question in our life, but rather the word of God sets for us a brand new way of looking at reality. Which is why he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, yeah, but let it dwell in you richly, like to the point of overflowing. You can never have enough of the word of God in your heart and in your mind. It needs to be overflowing. And so that's the first thing, all right? So you have to have the word of God in you. All right, so it's important that we have the Word of God in us. But the other things that, that Paul wants to have us in, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But then he also says that we are, ought to be uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's all right, I can pick that up for you if you want. Songs, these are, it's really, it's, it, these, these are all versions of worship. These are all versions of worship. So worship needs to be in us. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, I was listening. Uh, Manessa posted this thing about Rick Pino talking about this very passage. And uh, he talked about how, how worship is a corporate event. Worship is the kind of thing that happens here at church, of course, but it happens throughout our lives. It happens uh, not just in church, but, it, but, it, but it, there's three kinds of worship songs when we think of worship songs. So the first one is a song that we sing to God. All right, it's, a, it's, it's this song right here, actually, that it says in the very beginning. He says, he says uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. Um, the reason why there's a P in front of that is because the original Greek word is psalms. <laughs> psalmist actually uh, i think that's why there's a p in front of the word psalms i always wonder it's like it's silent why is it why is it even there well because in the greek it's psalmist it means a song that you sing it literally means it can be an instrumental or it can be something that you're singing but it literally it means a tune it means a song and in this case it's a song we're singing about god it's a song this this is the first kind of song we sing in church one humans singing to god um, but secondly, there is a kind of song that, that God sings to us. Zephaniah 3 says that he sings over us. He rejoices over us with singing. Now, this doesn't mean that God worships us. It doesn't mean that he says, oh, you guys are so awesome. You know? But no, he, rather he's singing about his love for us. He's singing about his faithfulness to us. And he's singing over joy with the progress that we're making. And the faith that we have and the knowledge that we are gaining and the decisions that we are making. He, when we're making good decisions, he's singing over us. He's rejoicing over us with singing. So, so there are vertical songs, right? Songs that we sing to God. Then there are songs that God sings over us. But then the third kind is this kind of song that we sing to each other. This horizontal worship. Uh, when I was growing up, they used to say, uh, we're, we're, we're singing to an audience of one, meaning it's like just me and Jesus, you know. But that's not true worship. True worship is not just you and Jesus. True worship is you, Jesus, and others where we are singing to each other. Notice that. He says, he says is this what you need to do? Teaching and admonishing one another in songs. So, so I'm singing to God, of course, about God, but I'm also singing to you in a way that teaches you or rather reminds you or celebrates with you the value of Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded sometimes about the value of Jesus. Maybe you guys are all too spiritual for that, but I need to be encouraged and reminded about how valuable God is, about how good God has been to me. That's why, that's why we sing that one song. Um, I've seen him move. You move the mountains. I'm not going to try to sing it. But I believe. Dun, 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 dun. I can do the da na 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 thing because that's my part on the keys. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, I got that down. But, you know, like oh, the air guitar. It'll, it'll be crazy. No, I mean, look, but that's, that's why we sing this song. Not because God needs to know, oh, you've seen me move mountains. Oh, gee, I, I, I forgot about that. No, like God is fully aware. We're singing that because we need to be reminded. 
That he is a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. That he is a God who moves mountains. And that I believe, I'll see him do it again, you know? Like, that's the kind of thing. We're singing those songs as a corporate body together. So worship is not just you and your car and the radio. I mean, like that, yeah, that's part of it. But if you're, if you're not gathering together with a group of believers, if you're not corporately reminding each other the value of Jesus in your life, you're missing out on, on a big part of worship. Big part of worship is, this is why he says, man, you were called to one body. And not just your little part off there amputated by itself, man. No, in one body, we have a, we have a role. We have, we have something that we're doing, which, which, which sociologists actually say is really important. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was reading this sociologist who was talking about diversity. And he was talking about how typically when you have a culturally diverse society, what you have is you have a lot of division and a lot of protests, Unless, he said, unless the people who have come together are coming together for a, 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 a shared purpose. And I thought about that and I thought about City Chapel and how culturally diverse we are. Our skin colors are all kinds of different stuff. Our economics are all kinds of places. Uh, we're, we're, it's like we're very diverse. But, but basically what the sociologist was saying is that diversity for the sake of diversity only results in division. But diversity when gathered around a particular purpose has a cohesion to it, has a power to it, which is, which is why as we gather together, we're not gathering together just to be like, oh, look, look, look at the rainbow uh, here in Austin, all the different colors, isn't it wonderful? Well, yeah, but no, we are gathered together to remind ourselves how great God is. He is our purpose. His elevation is our goal. His fame is our, is our goal. This is our aim, that he would be lifted up and glorified in us, through us, and when we come together, that's how this thing can work. That's how it can work to have people with PhDs and high school dropouts. That's how this thing can work because we're not focused on just being diverse for the sake of diversity. We are coming together around a shared purpose, which is to glorify God. And so this song, the first song we need to have in us is a psalmus or a psalmitas or psalmita. There's different versions of it. It's the, it's the spit song. Uh, it's the, you, you got to spit what you say. So whoever uses this mic next, uh, I'm sorry, Mia, I guess you're going to uh, just, just wipe it off. It'll be good. But no, it's, it's a song that we have toward God. And, 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 and it's a song we sing to him. But the next song is something called a hymn. All right. So he says that we need to, that we need to have songs in us, but also hymns. Now, a hymn is not just an old song. Some people think hymns are just those old songs. And, and, and in fact, in that sense, like some hymns are not even hymns. Because there are some hymns that are not hymns at all. Um, in, t- in terms of hymns, a hymn is a song declaring the greatness of God and the nature and the character of God. It's telling about who God is and what he's done. It's glorifying him in his holiness, in his perfection, in his greatness, in his omnipotence, in his omnipresence. I mean, in who he is, we are, we are singing about who he is. It's the vertical kind of song that is directly um, about God, but we're singing it um, on this horizontal level because you and I need to be reminded about who he is. All right. But but a, a lot of hymns are hymns like holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, my song shall rise to thee. Uh, but there are new hymns, too. Uh, how great is our God. Sing with me. How great. We're singing about how great God is together as a group focused on his greatness. That's what a hymn is. But there are but there are there are hymns like in a hymnal that don't do that. There's like, uh, what is that? I go to the garden alone while the dew. You got to sing it in that voice. I don't know why, but that's like, that's like every white person's funeral is the garden, you know? While the dew is still on the roses. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's really that song. It's not a hymn because that song's really all about Andy. You know, Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me that I am his own. I don't know who Andy is, but it's all about Andy. 
some of you don't even know that song. That's sad. Go get a, go get a Gaither vocal band album, and uh, and get yourself educated um, in some in some good gospel. No, but that, that's not really a hymn. It's a, it's a good song, but it's a song about God walking with us in prayer time, and it's great. It's, it's all good or whatever, but it's not. A hymn about how God is. And so, and so tr- a true hymn is a song extolling the greatness of God. Are we good? So that's why I'm saying it's kind of cool that we're doing opposite Sunday because we've turned around the entire room and we've flipped the entire script. Normally we sing first and then I preach, uh, you know, because, because normally we sing to prepare the way for the word. But now we're preaching to prepare the way for the, for the singing so that you know what you're doing. We are singing songs to God, but we are also encouraging one another as we sing. Because there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to need, you're going to need somebody to remind you how great God is, how able God is, how faithful God is. Acts Acts chapter 16 is a perfect example of this. Acts chapter 16, two guys named Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, for for following Jesus, for being believers. They're thrown into the dungeon. They are in chains. They're in stocks. They are in the bottom part of the dungeon, and it's late. They've been there all day, and they've been there all night. And in the middle of the night, you would think they would start to get depressed. You think they would start to want to give up. But instead, in verse 25, it says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, that's good, and singing hymns. That's that word. That's it's the hymn word. Because, because hymns is the kind of song we sing with each other. So that even when you're on the, in the bottom of a dungeon, at least if you have one other person down there with you, you're having a bad week, guess what? The person next to you is probably having a bad week too. You're concerned about where this country is going? There's about uh, 100 million other people who are also concerned about it. No matter what kind of dungeon you might find yourself in, man, if you find somebody else who's also in that dungeon and ready to sing about the greatness of God in spite of the circumstances, a lot of hymns, man, they come out of you're singing about the end result while you're in the middle of the process. I can't see the victory yet, but I know who holds the victory. I can't see the result yet, but I know who is in control of all things. So in the bottom of a dungeon, they are singing about how great God is. And look, it says, and the prisoners were listening to them because that's what hymns do. Hymns are extolling, exalting God for other people to listen in. Even people who are currently in bonds and in chains, they can't even sing about it themselves. They're stuck in their addiction they're stuck in their cycle they're in chains but they're able to listen too and when they began to worship this is the powerful thing about worship worship creates a space for the manifest presence of God it creates a space scripture says that God enthrones himself on the praises of his people in other words he is sitting in heavenly places he is enthroned but when we start to worship him when we, no matter our circumstances, when we start to worship him, he comes down from that throne and he comes down and sits on the throne of praise of his people and he dwells with them. And when God shows up, when God shows up, things begin to change a little bit. I don't know what your circumstance is, but if you could just be in the presence of Jesus, I'm telling you, freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone that when God shows up, things begin to shift and you start thinking things that you hadn't thought before. You start seeing things you hadn't seen before. You start feeling things you haven't felt before. And what happens is God shows up and the whole foundation of the place begins to shake because there's an earthquake. So God moves things at the lowest level first and the shaking of the earthquake creates the foundations begin shaking. And immediately all the doors are open and everyone's chains are loosed. Freedom comes when God shows up. Freedom comes when God reveals himself. And God shows up in response to worship, to hymns. This is why every Sunday we gather and we proclaim the greatness of God. We never get tired of proclaiming the greatness of God. Because it's in these hymns that we remind each other. It's in these hymns that we teach our children. It's in these hymns that our kids grow up and they know who God is in part because they've been hearing us sing about him. 
They know what God is because as, they, as we drive in the car, we're listening to radio songs that, that lift him up, that talk about his character, that talk about his nature. There's a lot of songs nowadays that are focused on me and my experience and my struggle and all that kind of that, That's fine and whatever. But at some point, we need to remind ourselves of who God is, why we got into this thing to begin with, who is holding our hope, who is the source of our encouragement and our strength. It's God. And so hymns do that. Hymns of all kinds, new hymns, old hymns, whatever. Hymns that lift up God, that, 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 that exalt him. They remind us, they teach us, they teach our kids, and they, they invite the presence of God into our circumstance, into our prison, into our dungeon. So in the Old Testament, when God was establishing some, some, some worship among his people, he, he told Moses how to build the tabernacle. He, he said, he said I, I want you to build the tabernacle this way with these dimensions and these rooms. And, and there was an outer court, there was an inner court, there was a holy place, and then there was a most holy place. That's what God called it. He's a, it's a most holy, and in the middle of the most holy place, God said, I want you to make a box. He called it the Ark of the Covenant, and, 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 and he gave specific dimensions for that box, exactly how to make it, that they were to overlay it with gold, they were to carve certain carvings into it, and right in the top of the box, in the middle of the top of the box, there's this thing called the mercy seat, and God said, I want you to create like this little platform. It's just a little flat, it's a little, it's a little flat platform, it's a little gold platform. It's called the mercy seat because when God comes from heaven and dwells in the praises of his people, his, his favorite position is a position of mercy. He sits on a mercy seat. He's there to show mercy to those who are in chains, to those who are in bondage. He's there to show mercy to South Austin and to the U.S. He's there to show mercy to us. That's what he wants to do. And so when he comes and dwells, he sits on a mercy seat. And God gave some instructions about that ark, which I think I've always, I've always thought were a little bit strange. He said, I want you to carve two angels on top of it out of gold. Create these two angel figures on top of the ark. Now, that's always sort of struck me as strange because, well, like I know how humans are and humans have a propensity to worship angels. And so it's kind of strange that God would, in the most holy place, at the center of the most holy place, like right there where his presence is, also include these two angels. Why do we need angels? Can't we just have God? So I was always kind of like, man, this, this, this could turn into angel worship because people say, oh, look, the angels are there and God's there. And, 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 and so it's a, it's a little bit risky to me that God would have them carve angels on the top of his presence. In fact, the angels were over his presence, technically. So you have the mercy seat, which is on the top of the box, but on top of the box also, on one side, you have the, this angel, and his wings are stretched out like this, and God gave specific instructions about that. He says, I want his wings stretched out over the mercy seat. And then on this side, I want you to carve out another golden angel, and his wings are stretched out over the mercy seat. So they are, they're over the mercy seat. And I thought, man, this is kind of risky because, I mean, I know people, man, people travel thousands of miles just to kneel in front of a statue that was blessed one time and just so they can touch it because they think if they can touch it, it'll do something for them. People are not, not you people, but other people are weird. There's a weird folks out there. I'll tell you what, you guys are all completely normal sitting backwards in church, um, completely normal. Uh, but I mean, people are, it's, 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 it, but even, I mean, that's, that's the Roman Catholic, but even Protestants, man, we have relics from like revival. And we're like, man, if we, we, this is the chair that Evan Roberts sat on when he, you know, and it, we somehow tend to value this stuff. And yet God said, no, 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 I want some angels there. And I think one of the reasons he did that is because really, if you look at what he's doing in the tabernacle, he's making a replication, a replica of heaven. I think he said that one time, may your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's kind of into that. And so he's making a replica of heaven. And in heaven, in Isaiah 6, we see that the angels are flying around the throne, the seat of God, and they're calling to each other. Notice they're not saying to God. They're calling to each other. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're looking at each other. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're calling, they're, they're, like, they're in the presence of God, but they're, they're talking 
to one another. They're, the gossip of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're, they're in the manifest presence of God and they're talking to each other. Which I think is why God said on the box, I want you to put two angels. Well, God, can't we just have one like a guardian? No, no, we got to have two because it takes two to have community. So true worship can happen, obviously, in your car on your way to work. But you're never going to really experience the kind of worship that heaven is experiencing until you are in community. He said that the wings had to be touching. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't like these chairs so close. I feel like I'm touching people. I like to have at least one chair between me and somebody else. I'm not touching. I'm not touching people. Man, like, no, like, no, like this, is, this is what it means to be one body. You're going to have to touch people. Uh, get some hand sanitizer if you must, but you're going to have to touch people, especially if, you, if, if, uh, if uh, people are sick, you know, get some hand sanitizer. But, but no, like he, he said, I want this angel on this side stretching his hands out to touch the end of the other angel so that their wings are reaching for each other. This is what true worship is. It is letting God be in this. Didn't Jesus say that? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. In the middle of them. God comes in the middle. That's where he dwells. He dwells in the middle of connection. In the middle of fellowship. In the middle of... Because you know what? Human connection requires compromise. That's why people run away from it. Because it requires... You can't just... I'm going to be myself. Well, that's lovely. But true connection requires compromise. And as we give up ourselves for the greater good of each other, as I'm looking at to you to meet your needs and you're looking to meet my needs, God comes in the middle of this thing. And he that's where mercy dwells. In the middle of the angels. That they're, they're touching. Now, now, God also gave specific instructions, though, about these angels. He said, he said, when you carve their faces... I want you to make it so their eyes are looking down onto the mercy seat. Because I may be touching you, but I'm not focused on you. I may be focused on you. I may be touching you, but I'm not focused on you. So it's, it's important that we're able to touch others without being distracted by others. It's important that we're able to walk with others without idolizing others. It's important that we're able to support others without putting others up on a pedestal and making them the source of our faith and our encouragement. And well, if they fall, then I guess I'm going to fall too. No, it's important that our eyes stay on Jesus. I'm touching you, but my focus is Jesus. I like you, but my, my focus is Jesus. I'll put up with you, but my hope is Jesus. Jesus. I'll support you, but my support comes from Jesus. He's in the middle. When he comes in the middle, he's the focus of all attention. He's the focus of, of all songs and all singing. Every hymn ought to be aimed directly at him and his glory and his beauty. And I'm with you. I'm supporting you. I'm touching you. I'm connecting. I'm reaching out for you. But my focus has to be on the one who sits on the mercy seat. That's what a true hymn is. A hymn is a focus where, man, I'll, I'll, I'll rub shoulders with you. I'll take hands with you. And I'll remind you, I'll remind you of who he is. But I can't remind you of who he is if I'm not looking at him. I can't remind you of who he is if I'm too focused on you and your track record and how you're treating me and what you're wearing today or not wearing. <laughs> I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get distracted by you. I like you. I love you even. I'll stand by you. You're my family. You're, we're a part of one body. I need you, but I'm not focused on you. My eyes are on the mercy seat. That's what a hymn is. It's exalting the one who sits on the mercy seat. He says, I want you to be, I want you to have some songs in you. I want you to have some hymns inside of you. And then he says, I want you to have spiritual songs. In spiritual songs is what New King James says. I think the NIV says songs from the Spirit. That's actually a better translation. Uh, songs from the Spirit. It's, uh, it, but it's a different word for songs. It's not psalmist. It's not the spitting one. It's, it's, it's odus. And that's where we get our word ode from. And you guys are not into classical music, apparently. But there wasn't there that one ode, ode to joy? 
Is it Beethoven? Was that, or was it Bach? Beethoven? I don't know. I, man, piano lessons just turned me off to the whole thing. I was like sitting there on his harpsichord trying to figure out how hard he could possibly make a song and then call it Ode to Joy. How is that joyful? This is painful. You know, I'm sorry, I'm just not into classical music, but but Ode, he was a prodigy. And in his time, Lord bless him. <sighs> bless bless his heart. I just I just bless bless his heart right now. Um yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. But you know, but Ode, it's a it's a song about normal things. It's a, it's a, it doesn't even have to be a song, actually. It could be just written poetry, spoken poetry, or put to music. But it's about normal things, like joy, ode to joy. Things that are every, everyday experiences that you take from a different angle, and you look at it, sing about it, write about it. It's an it's a average kind of stuff. Like yesterday, we were watching PBS, and the little song came, the little jingle came on, You Can't Untoast the Toast. And if you have kids, you, you've probably heard that song on PBS. You can't untoast the toast. You can't unscramble the egg either. People are like, oh, this is deep, man. This is deep stuff. Yeah, you can't untoast the toast. This FYI, apply that to your life this week. Uh, you cannot, it, but, it, well, and so, and so Ro was like, that's such a weird song. Why would they write that? I said, that's an ode. That's a lyric. That's a song to normal stuff like toast, but it's looking at it from a different angle than what normal people look at it from. It's like, it's the opposite. You flip it. You're like, you can't untoast the toast. We're going to look at this differently. Odes began in around 500 BC. They would have been around, and, and obviously, in Paul's time. He says, look, you got to have some psalmists. you got to have, have some songs. you got to have some hymns to each other. But then there's this thing called an ode that God sings to you. So songs we sing to God, songs we sing to each other. But then there's an ode that God sings to us. And guess what? He always sings about normal stuff. The Holy Spirit, that's why it's from the Spirit. It's an ode from the Spirit. It's not from you. It's from the Spirit. And the Spirit of God, He's always singing about normal stuff. We think God's only interested in like big world changing. But no, God's interested in your toast. God's interested in, God's always speaking to you about you exactly where you're at. And back in the medieval times, uh, they, they would use odes to get, to get the news out. So back in the day, they didn't have Twitter or Facebook. Um, somehow, they survived. Um, and they would, yeah, like to get the news out, to get the news out. Yeah, this is back in the day of MySpace. This is when they had MySpace, back in medieval times. Uh, so to get the news out, the king, one, they only reported things that were actually news, by the way, back in the day. It wasn't like, oh, so-and-so wore that to such-and-such, and so-and-so tweeted this at such and I mean, you know, come on. They only reported things that were actually news. And so what they would do, the king would bring the, the minstrel, and he'd say, look, man, this is the news for the day. Like, this is how this battle went down. This is what happened. Can you write an ode to this and go sing it throughout the town to let my people know the victories that I've won, the accomplishments that we've made, the changes that were that are happening, just to let them just singing the news. And really, that's what the Holy that's what songs from the Spirit are. The King has called the Holy Spirit into His chamber and said, "Can you let my people know about the victories I've won, the changes I'm making, the stuff I'm doing? Because they can't see it from where they're at, but I can see it from up here. And so, a spiritual song or a song from the Spirit can happen even in church. Like sometimes we just we just we just go off the script and we just start singing things that don't necessarily rhyme and they don't they don't really have a verse in the chorus." and you say, oh, they're just making stuff up. We're not making stuff up. We're, we're listening to the Spirit and we're letting you know what the King is telling you. We're singing the news. We're letting you know what God is doing in your life and in our life right here and right now. And so sometimes this happens in corporate worship, but other times this can happen while you're driving down the road. This can happen. The Holy Spirit can just start telling you the news. Because like you have your version of the news, but you don't have God's perspective on what he's doing. You know what you're doing and you know what your in-laws are doing. And you know, you don't know all of what your in-laws are doing. You know some of what your in-laws are but but God knows everything that he's doing. And that's what he's doing. He's singing over us or sometimes just proclaiming to us. So a good example of this is 2 Chronicles um, chapter 20. And I'm going to turn there because it's a lot of scripture. We're going to have it up on the screen for you if you want to uh, be able to read it, but you might not 
might not be able to, 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 to follow along. It's kind of small lyrics, but I just want to read the story to you so you can see what I'm talking about. And then we're going to go into worship. Sound good? We're actually going to practice it. And uh, we trust that the Holy Spirit is also going to practice it. That we would be, we would have some songs in us, we'd have some hymns in us, but then also we would have some revelation from the Holy Spirit about what the King is saying in his chambers. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you have a man named Jehoshaphat. He's, he's a good king. Well, he's a relatively good king. He had some issues. <laughs> yeah, you too. Jonathan too. Jonathan's willing to admit it. He had some issues kind of like us. But he's, he's doing the best he can. And in, verse, in, 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 in chapter 19, he made some good changes. He made some good progress. He did some, made some good decisions. And then verse 20, chapter 20 says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Don't you, isn't that always the way? You start making some good decisions. You start making some progress. And while you're over here making these good decisions, maybe today you said, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible this week. I'm going to read my Bible. Guess what? Before you even step out of church today, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Munites, the Cellulites have already, just seeing if you're paying attention. They've already, they've already moved. They're already starting to move. They're moving. The, the, the enemy, I mean, while they're making, while, while Jehoshaphat's making good decisions, the enemy is making a move. He doesn't know it. Boy, sometimes ignorance is bliss. You know what I'm saying? If you knew the stuff that was working against you, you might be too discouraged to even make the moves you're making. So it's the mercy of God sometimes. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to clue him into this just yet. Because he's doing good. Because he's making some good decisions. And while he's making good decisions, the enemy is plotting. And he's moving together. Three different nations come together to take out Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat knows he's in trouble. This is why in verse 2 it says, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already, in other words, they've been moving for a while now. It's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Verse 3, Alarmed. Alarmed, Josephat resolved. You know, you can be alarmed, but stay resolved in the same sentence. He's scared, but he's not running. <laughs> he's scared, but he's resolved. That means he's decided. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said this. This is a pretty good hymn, actually. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors. Now notice he's talking to God, but he's in front of everybody. That's why it's a good hymn. Everybody's gathered around. Lord, the God of our ancestors, you are you not the God who is in heaven? <laughs> you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stop you. So just before I even bring up the subject of my enemy, God, I'm just going to acknowledge you are in charge of my enemy. You rule over all nations, over all kingdoms, and nobody can stop you. Let's just start with that. Let's start with the greatness of God. Let's start with the capabilities of God on our behalf. We believe that he can make a way where there seems to be no way. We believe that he can do the impossible. We believe that you are the God who dwells in heaven. You rule over all nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stop you. Our God, did you not? Now, now, now he's reminding God of what he did in the past. Did you not? Move the mountains. Dun, 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 dun. Did you not? Haven't you been faithful? Haven't you been good? Haven't you been powerful? Haven't you proven yourself over and over and over again? Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friends? They have lived in it, your descendants, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. And this has been our song, Lord. This is what we've been saying all this time. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence. <laughs> 
This has been our song. We will stand in your presence before this. We're not going anywhere. We will stand in this presence, in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, boy, you can sing that song when everything's going good. <laughs> but now, there are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you wouldn't allow us to invade when they came from Egypt. So, so our ancestors turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us. I talked about that with the referee thing. The same God that you allow to flow, throw a flag on you will also throw a flag for you. He'll rise up and defend you. He says, look at, look at how they're repaying us. in verse 12 our God will you not judge them will you not throw a flag on them this is the key for we have no power for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us we don't even know what to do <laughs> not only do we not have a power we don't have a clue we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you all the men of Judah, their wives and children's little ones stood there before the Lord, just quiet. They're just listening to this hymn. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. This is an ode. So this is what happens when we start singing hymns, God starts singing odes. We start singing about the greatness of God, and then God's going to tell us the news. Verse 15, this is what Jehaziel said. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Before you even enter the battle, you need to understand that the battle is not yours, it is God's. This is the news from the king's chamber. This is the way God sees it. This is what he wants you to understand. He's, 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 he's singing over his people right now. He says, don't be afraid because the battle is not yours. Tomorrow, I want you to march down against them. They will be climbing up the path of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight. Wait a minute. Why do I have to go? No, no, I want you to get in position but you will not have to fight. I want you to do your part, but you will not have to fight. I want you to be there for the battle, but you will not have to fight. I want you to get prepared and get in position, but you will not have to fight. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. There it is again. Do not be discouraged again. Go out to face them. Touch somebody, tell it, face them. Just face it. Face what, what you've been running from. He says, I want you to go out and face them, and the Lord will be with you. This is the news. And so that's what they did. Verse 20, early the next morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith so important. Have faith in the Lord your God. Notice he didn't ask them to have faith until he had given them some information. He said he didn't ask for faith until he had given them some information. He, the, he told them who God was, where they had come from, how he had been faithful to them, how he was all powerful, how nothing could stop God. And after they understood who God was, then Jehoshaphat said, okay, now I want you to have faith can't have faith in what you don't know. You can't have faith in who you don't know. And so now that you have a truth about him, I want you to have faith in him. If you believe that he can move mountains, now I want you to have faith that he will. So he says, listen to me, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith also in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. <laughs> to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. That's a hymn. 
He said, okay, so before we get the axes and the pitchforks, I want to put out the singers in the front of the army to sing about how great God is. Not about how strong we are, not about how powerful we are, but about how faithful God is. And listen, listen to their song. This is the song that the guys sang in front of the army. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I'm going into a battle, but I'm focused on his faithfulness. I'm going into a fight, but I'm focused on his love. I'm going into a war, but I am focused on the God who has loved me, who does love me, who will love me even after this battle is done. They're singing about the love of God entering into a battle. So, so a picture of what we do here on Sunday morning. So a picture. We're gathered together. We're moving in, in obedience to God. And what happened it's really interesting. In verse 22, it says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. See, this is, sometimes as we begin to sing and praise, we don't know what's happening. Nothing seems like it's happening. But as they began to sing and praise, God began doing something. Many times, I think we lose battles in our life because honestly, we go to the positions we're supposed to take. We try to do the thing we're supposed to do. We go in the direction we're supposed to, to go, but we don't praise and worship and lift up God on the way. And so what happens is we, 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 we encounter our enemy. We encounter our addiction. We encounter our marriage problems. We encounter our bitterness. We run into our enemy. But because we haven't been worshiping all this time, we haven't brought God into the equation. So there's you, yeah, and there's your enemy, sure. But there needs to be God brought into the equation. When we worship, he comes and sits on the praises of his people. He comes into the equation. And what you don't know what God's doing, like while you're worshiping, God could be working. Which is why worship is so important. Because God can do more in 30 seconds than you can do in 30 years. God deals with stuff. God's working. And, and, from, and, and the, the, the scripture actually is kind of confusing to see what God did. But it seems like from, re, from reading most commentaries that God, like he, he sent some of Israel's enemies to go hide in the bushes and wait for Israel. But he sent them in a place where Israel wasn't going to be there yet. Because God knows the timing of things. And so he sent them in a place where the other guys were coming. And they thought the other guys were the Israelites. And they jumped out and attacked them. So really the enemies of God ended up attacking each other. And by the time the people of God got to the place where they thought they were going to have to fight, they looked over the edge of the cliff and they saw a bunch of dead bodies because the enemy had already been defeated. God was working while they were worshiping so they didn't have to fight for victory. They got to fight from victory. They didn't have to fight for the victory. They got to fight from victory. They were victorious before they stepped on the field. Because God had already gone before them. God had already done it. And actually, it's really prophetically interesting that in verse 25, it says, So Jehoshaphat and all his men went to carry off the plunder. That's all the benefits when you win. Isn't it interesting? God wins and he gives us the benefits. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days. I, I don't, I, three days to, to collect. It, it takes a while. There's so much victory, so much freedom. Sometimes it takes three days just to come out of that cave. It's just so much is going on. And, 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 and three days, and on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Bar Baraka, where they praised the Lord. That's why it's called the valley of Baraka. Because Baraka means blessing. This is what worship will do. Worship will take what you thought was going to be the valley of a battle and turn it into a valley of a blessing. That you don't have to fight your battles, but you experience the benefit of victory that Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. But it requires turning away from ourselves, our own strength, our own self-reliance. And instead of recruiting some archers, we need to recruit some worshipers. 
instead of recruiting some apologists, we need to recruit some worshipers. Instead of recruiting some debaters, we, we'd be better with one worshiper than 10 good debaters. Austin would be better off with one worshiper than 10 really sound debaters. Because you can win an argument. You can, you can go to battle with, with folks intellectually, but until the heart is changed, nothing really happens. And so when we worship God, God comes into the equation, and He moves hearts, and He moves minds, and He opens up ears, and the enemy ends up attacking itself. And hatred ends up attacking itself, and bitterness ends up attacking itself. So what I like to do is typically we, we go to a time of giving here in the middle, but instead of that, I'd just like to enter right into worship, if that's all right. If we could just go straight into worship, would you just, uh, if we can have the band come up, but let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for worship. Father, we come to you, and we just thank you for your word. We thank you that the battle is already yours. You've already won the battle. You've already received the victory on our behalf. You're doing things that we aren't even aware of right now, that we can't even look into, but we, we worship right now out of faith, out of trust in you. That we may, whatever you may be going through today, I would encourage you that nothing, nothing ought to stop your worship. Because if, if, if your worship can continue, then your faith can continue, then God can do great things. Because probably your greatest need's not in this room. He's probably outside of this room. Your greatest concern and fear is probably not in this room. It's probably outside of this room. Your bills, your pressure expectations, lack of fulfillment, job, there's so many things. It's not even in this room, but it's amazing what God can do outside of this room when we connect with him in this room, when we lift him up, when we say, Lord, we don't necessarily know what to do, (laughs) but our eyes are on you. We're going to focus on you. We're going to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.